This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Chelsea, and I still love true crime. And I'm David, and I still love horror movies. And welcome to Behind the Screams. This episode was originally created for our Patreon listeners as an exclusive, but since the show is on hiatus, we thought it'd be a great way to give something new to most of you. We may have references to news events that are now far in the past, and also the style of these former Patreon episodes is a little different than our regular episodes, but we hope you enjoy the show. Razor blades hidden in candy apples, needles in snicker bars, cyanide in pixie sticks. Some of these things never happened on Halloween, and some did. While poisoned Halloween candy may have started out as an urban legend, its prevalence has increasingly led to copycat crimes. This is based on a true crime. I'm Chelsea, and I love true crime. And I'm David, and I love horror movies. And happy Halloween, Patreon listeners. Uh, we're kind of overloading you guys with episodes. We had an episode out last week, and we're going to get this out before Halloween, and uh, our episode on The Exorcist also, so hopefully you guys aren't sick of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no kidding. So, uh, yes, happy Halloween, everybody. We hope you enjoyed all the candy that you've eaten ahead of halloween and uh we hope you continue to en- enjoy eating all the candy um we're gonna talk about some 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 candy man yeah we're gonna talk about some candy that uh you guys are hopefully not eating all right without further ado let's get into it believe it or not poison candy myths began to really take hold after the industrial revolution so it's pretty much when candy was no longer made in homes by your neighbors. Um, it's kind of the opposite of what we think about homemade candy now. And people were distrustful of their food being made by strangers using all of these unknown mysterious processes. Uh, there were The rumors were so prevalent that, in fact, the U.S. Bureau of Chemistry ended up testing hundreds of types of candy in the 1890s and 1900s for different poisons but they found no evidence of anything, and they concluded the report um, that children were getting sick from candy probably because they just ate way too much of it. Probably ate their entire uh, pillow sack full. Oh, yeah. Do that every year. Oh, yep. Absolutely. Uh, well, these myths started to gain new footing during the social upheaval of the 60s and 70s. And with that came the first reports of individuals actually tampering with candy that they handed out on Halloween. In 1959, William Shine, who was a dentist in California, handed out candy-coated laxatives to children. So kids were pooping their pants left and right, I guess. What a jerk. Yeah, that's just, that's just not right. 
Um, well, in 1964, a woman in Long Island who was really frustrated with trick-or-treaters whom she deemed too old gave them bags of inedible objects, which included steel wool, dog biscuits, and ant poison. But it was labeled ant poison when she gave it out. So she was really giving it out as like an F you to these trick-or-treaters, not yeah. actually trying to kill anyone. Yeah, so none of them were injured. However, she was prosecuted for endangering children. There were reports in the news from that year of lye-filled bubblegum and rat poison being handed out to trick-or-treaters, but they were unsubstantiated. Still, in 1970, New York Times published an article which added fuel to the fire with their claim that, quote, those Halloween goodies that children collect this weekend on their rounds of trick-or-treating may bring them more horror than happiness. <laughs> That's really dramatic. Very dramatic, yes. <laughs> See, some things never change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that year there was a case in Detroit of a five-year-old boy who ended up dying after eating what his family claimed was heroin-laced Halloween candy. So he, he didn't um, he, he did not survive that. However, the police investigation revealed that he actually died after finding and eating his uncle's stash of the drug, and his family lied to protect the uncle. There were also multiple reported cases over the years of children who died of natural or at least unrelated causes on Halloween or after eating Halloween candy whose deaths were initially reported as being due to tainted candy. So one particularly gruesome case of a true Halloween candy poisoning took place in Deer Park, Texas in 1974. Ronald Park O'Brien was a father of two who worked as an optician and was a deacon at the Second Baptist Church. By 1974, he was struggling financially and was $100,000 in debt. That Halloween, he took his 8-year-old son, Timothy, and 5-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, trick-or-treating in Pasadena, Texas, along with his neighbor and his neighbor's two children. The group stopped at a house and knocked, but there was no answer at the door. The children ran ahead, but O'Brien lingered at the unoccupied home. When he caught up with the group, he had five 21-inch pixie sticks that he claimed were given to him by the occupant of the house, which, who gives out 21-inch pixie sticks? Yeah. That's, that's wild. Yeah. I could never that's get like those That's like the size of ones. a child. <laughs> yeah. Um... So later that night, he gave one pixie stick to each of the four children, and he gave the fifth one to a 10-year-old child that he recognized from his church. After getting home, Timothy asked his father whether he could have some candy, and he picked out the pixie stick. His father helped him when he had trouble loosening the powder from the stick, and when he complained that it tasted bitter, his father got him some Kool-Aid to wash it down. Timothy immediately complained of feeling sick, and he began vomiting and convulsing. He died less than an hour after eating the candy while en route to the hospital. Ah, Jesus, so sad. Yep, and, and it gets sudden. worse. Yeah. Well, parents in Deer Park panicked, and many returned their Halloween candy to the local police. An autopsy of Timothy revealed that the pixie stick was laced with potassium cyanide. Police were able to recover the other four pixie sticks before any of the other children could eat them, although one of the pixie sticks that they were initially unable to locate was found clutched in the hand of a sleeping child, who apparently tried to open it but was luckily unable to remove the staple. 
How insane is that? That is the closest call ever. Oh my god. Imagine being the parent of that child. Yeah. Uh. Well, all of the pixie sticks that had been previously opened and the top two inches of candy powder was replaced with potassium cyanide. Each stick ended up having enough of the poison to kill three to four adults. So you could imagine, you know, the impact it would have on a small child. O'Brien took police to the house where he claimed to have received the pixie sticks, but his story quickly fell apart when police were able to determine that the person handing out candy was not a hairy-armed man, as O'Brien claimed, but a mother and daughter who ran out of candy early in the evening. The father of the household was at work until 11 p.m., as confirmed by 200 of his co-workers, so a rock-solid alibi. Oh, yeah. Well, eventually the investigation turned towards O'Brien, and that was when police discovered that he was $100,000 in debt, his car was about to be repossessed, and his home was foreclosed on. He was also very close to being fired from his job due to being suspected of theft. They also discovered that in January of 1974, he took out a $10,000 life insurance policy on each of his children. Suspicious and shady. Oh, it gets suspiciouser and shadier. So uh, in September, he took out an additional $20,000 policy on both children over the objections of his insurance company. And then just days before Timothy's death, he took out yet another $20,000 policy on each child. Whoa. Yeah. The morning after Timothy's death, O'Brien called the insurance company to ask about collecting on these various policies. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah. And O'Brien's wife claimed to know nothing about his life insurance shenanigans. And this is in 1974 money. That's like a lot today. Yeah. I just don't understand why people who, you know, murder for insurance money. I feel like they always call like that day or the next day. Like, wait a week. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. (sighs) Well, police also learned that shortly before Halloween, O'Brien visited a chemical supply store in Houston to inquire about purchasing cyanide. Oh, as you do. Yeah. Uh, He did leave without purchasing anything after he learned that the smallest amount one could purchase was a five-pound bag. Police began to theorize that O'Brien had tampered with the candy in order to kill his children to collect on the life insurance. Duh. Um, And they also figured that the additional pixie sticks were meant to throw police off by suggesting a more random crime. So, you know, just kill a bunch of kids. Why not? person who worked as a pastor (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's he's, he's officially the worst uh so when police confronted o'brien he maintained his innocence but on november 5th he was arrested and charged with one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder o'brien's trial began on may the 4th of 1975 over the course of the trial multiple witnesses attested to O'Brien talking obsessively about the cyanide and how much was needed to be fatal in the months leading up to that Halloween. His brother and sister-in-law also testified that on the day of Timothy's funeral, he talked about using the insurance money to take a long vacation. I guess that's what he needed. Yeah. He just needed a long vacation. A long vacation in jail. <laughs> oh. The trial did garner a lot of media attention, and the press dubbed O'Brien, quote, the man who killed Halloween and 
the Candyman. It took the jury just 46 minutes on June the 3rd to find O'Brien guilty and just 71 minutes to sentence him to death. Death by eating cyanide-laced pixie sticks. Not really. I made that last part up. Nope. O'Brien was despised by his fellow death row inmates for killing a child to the point where they petitioned to hold a demonstration on his execution date to show just how much they hated him. Wow. Yeah, I guess, you know, for them, it's only okay to kill certain people, not children. Right. Anyone else is fair game. Yeah. Yeah? Well, his first execution date was scheduled for August the 8th of 1980, but his attorneys were able to successfully stay the execution and did the same for several years to follow. Finally, shortly after midnight on March 31st of 1984, O'Brien was executed by lethal injection. He maintained his innocence until the moment he died, saying, quote, I forgive all, and I do mean all, those who have been involved in my death. God bless you all, and may God's best blessings be always yours. I I hate that he never admitted to it. Oh. I just, I know he did it. There's no way he didn't do it. Come yeah. on. Yep. Yeah. So <sighs> suspicious. The man who oh. killed Halloween. Come on. Yeah. Come on. A crowd of 300 people traveled to the Huntsville unit to witness his execution. While some were death penalty protesters, many were there to witness what they felt was finally justice for Timothy O'Brien. These demonstrators showered the protesters with candy and cheered when they received the news that he had been executed, with some shouting, trick or treat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Uh, But no, actually, that's an absolutely terrible story. That is a... That is a sad story. It's poor Timothy O'Brien, man. To imagine a father that would not only do that to his own children, but to try to cover it up would murder two of his neighbor's children and a child from his congregation is mind blowing. It's, I just can't even. Yeah, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. Um, I don't know. There's there's no good. There's no, no good. No. It's definitely one of those cases where, you know, while I don't consider myself a proponent of the death penalty, I I will not shed a tear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I did want to, uh, you know, have as part of our discussion, uh, did your parents fear poisoned halloween candy or or did you oh i was an 80s kid of course they did yes yes but um we never went through any of it they never went through any of it oh they never went through your candy nah it was ate all the candy it was like whatever oh man i definitely i went through my own candy with that in mind definitely the idea of of that it it being tampered needles or whatever you'd like kind of squeeze a little fun size bars and make sure that you know they're sealed with the air inside there's not like little little holes from needles i might just have been a paranoid child i guess (laughs) i guess i don't think and i don't remember it being anything that like my parents talked about a lot or ingrained in me i almost feel like it was something that you would just hear in the news or like people talk about at school Uh, but we would always go through our candy 
and actually make inventory sheets and then we would keep all the chocolate and then my dad would take the other candy um to work with him because he's a teacher so they didn't want us having that that uh what is jolly ranchers break your teeth on them jolly ranchers oh see keep the chocolate ah see i was not a chocolate kid i ate everything else oh man i'm glad you're a chocolate kid now yeah i love chocolate now yeah yeah um i mean you know 80s were a weird time. We had satanic panic. I remember when it came down on high that we couldn't wear shirts with our last names or first names on it. And then the, uh, yeah, the poison candy thing. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm an only child. I think my parents are like, it's cool. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Well, I did want to mention uh, just briefly before we get to discussing uh, Candyman. You know, there are two more big cases that I would say are somewhat associated and uh, plenty of other podcasts have, have covered them. But one is, uh, speaking of the 80s, the um, Tylenol murders in Chicago. So I think that was 83. And that led to, it was like, I think maybe September. So it was pretty close to Halloween. And it was, um, someone had tampered with Tylenol. And um, a few people died. And it was cyanide in, in the Tylenol capsules. And they never caught who did it. And I think because it was so close to Halloween, it was immediately like, cyanide and everything yeah those Uh, tylenol murders though i mean uh give a shout out to the tylenol company because they um have been held up as like uh an example for like not just like damage control but an actual like consumer danger and their quickness to response um they're like i think their response is like studied in like marketing school or something yeah and they were so fast to to get the word out that you know there there was potentially this Tylenol out there that was was not safe um but yeah that that did lead to um you know there there are some cases you know obviously there are uh actually cases where people may be like stuck a needle in a fun size snicker there are some kids i guess who have done some stuff for for attention related to to candy tampering also but basically anytime uh, something big is in the news like the the tylenol murders were it's gonna lead to you know copycat crimes whether they be be real or not real um and i also did want to quickly mention the the other famous Candyman killer and that's uh dean coral in texas and it's a absolutely horrifying case that i i actually learned about it for the first time just Last year, uh, Color Me Dead podcast did, uh, I think, multiple parts on it. And it's uh, the details are just it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre level messed up crap. But it has one of the best stories of how this person got taken down. So if you have the stomach for, you know, the, the really gruesome stuff, go listen to any podcast that's covered dean coral because it's nuts um speaking of nuts oh wait (laughs) yeah um on that note we are going to jump over to a discussion of the film Candyman here in a second so sit tight we'll be right back have you ever heard of Candyman? if you look in the mirror and you say his name five times in cities everywhere Candyman. they whisper his name Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman. Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. 
An entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. The legend first appeared in 1890. He was attacked, mutilated, and burned to death. Poor Candyman. <laughs> Helen, a woman died in there. Leave it. Everyone knows he isn't real. That's modern oral folklore. Everyone. Except Helen Lyle. Where did I... It ain't safe around here. That don't scare too easy. Wanna know about Ruthie Jane? They ain't never gonna catch him. Who? Candyman. Helen. Who is that? I came for you. Do I know you? Now, she is about to discover. Helen? Mystery. You're sick. What's behind the legend? Listen, he's under the bed! And most terrifying of all, come with me. What's behind the mirror? He's here. Candyman, you don't have to believe. Just beware. Hey, we're back. Helen and Bernadette are two university researchers investigating the urban legend of a hooked, murderous, supernatural entity who is summoned by saying his name five times. When they call upon Candyman, he sets his sights upon Helen. Will she survive, or will Candyman take her very soul? This movie came out in 1992, and it's amazing. It is so good. I feel like we watch so many movies together and then we'll sometimes see one that just stands out immediately in my mind. I would say this is absolutely up there with like Reanimator and Dead and Buried is just like an instant favorite for me. It's amazing. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I think I was like, we were like, oh, did it, you know, are people into this movie like before we hit play? And I was like, I think it's like considered one of those top movies. And I was like, oh, did I just like do that thing where I'm like setting expectations too high? And then you were like, oh my God, this movie's so good. Yeah. No, yeah. Ex- expectations could not have been too high for this movie. I loved it. I loved it too. And I've read a lot about it over the years, but I've never seen the, the entire thing. I've only seen bits and pieces. So this was like also very fresh for me. I don't know if it's because it's still, well, it's about to not be so difficult to view in HD, but, um, you know, getting a hold of this movie uh, with the streaming wise, it does. It's not streaming anywhere. Um, it's on VHS and DVD. And um, other than that, there's an upcoming Screen Factory slash Arrow UK Blu-ray release, and um, we actually watched the UK version from a couple of years ago um, that was on Blu-ray. So, yeah, I think this is also definitely a treat for. Um people who are into true crime and horror movies which maybe might be a couple of you out there listening Uh, because although you know it's it's definitely very much a a supernatural horror movie I think it really you know the way they're kind of investigating it and the fact that you know they're investigating a murder that they don't initially think is supernatural uh, it's it just appeals to me on so many levels a plus. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it was directed by Bernard Rose. And um, 
It was based on a story by Clive Barker, which it is the story, The Forbidden in the book, the Books of Blood, Volume 5. And um, Bernard Rose has directed quite a few movies um, since then. One of them I remember being kind of a big release, and that was Immortal Beloved. And it's the life and death of Ludwig von Beethoven, played by Gary Oldman. Surprise, surprise, character actor. Yeah. Um, and Isabella Rossellini. I wonder if he wears the same wig he wears in the Dracula movie. Maybe. Uh, yeah. With his butt hair. Yeah. Yep. I think it's the exact same wig, actually. Yeah. That's yep. what I thought. Yep. He directed an adaptation of Anna Karenina, starring Sophie Mark. So, um, also there's kind of a more recent movie that I think is like maybe came out about three years ago. It's a, a adaptation of Frankenstein and it's set in present day LA and is told from the perspective of the monster. Is that different than I Frankenstein? I believe it's different from I Frankenstein as well as, uh, what was the one? It's... Oh, that one starring Harry Potter. Yes, yeah. Daniel Radcliffe. I can't and, remember what it's called. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. But um, no, it's not either of those movies. In fact, it's also not the, um, the one that Sherlock Holmes himself, Benedict Cumberbatch plays. So it's not Is that, that one either. Frankenstein movie. It's a play, I believe. Oh, uh, but they okay. did film it. So ah. yep, yep. A lot of Frankenstein adaptations. I feel like Bernard Rose. You know, it's a good good subject for him. So. I'm interested in checking that out. Um, and of course, this movie does very much feel like a Clive Barker production. Very much, yes. Um, I believe they did change the locale from England to Chicago and to the um, Cabrini Greens housing projects. Um, and they, you know, they changed everyone, of course, from um, to, I guess whatever cast they have now <laughs> in the movie. Um, so yeah, some changes there in the, in location and, and kind of in the character of Candyman himself. There's actually a good article called Candyman versus the forbidden by author Mark Pellegrini. And it is on the adventures in poor taste website. So we'll include a link to that in the show notes. If you just kind of feel like cheating and not reading his, uh, his short story. I really want to read the short story now. Yeah, it's pretty short. I think it's like 100 pages or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, like all things, I uh, I ended up reading the short story versions of the Clive Barker movies after having seen the movie a lot. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to, to kind of note those differences. This was released on October 16th of 1992. So, you know, just right before Halloween, which seemed like a perfect time for it on a $6 million budget. And it ended up making $25 million, So, not too bad. Not extra money, but... Uh, it seems like it made a profit. So the cast in this is like sort of pitch perfect. Um, mainly, I essentially feel like there are, are two people in this movie. There really are two people in this movie, yes. Uh, and this is the character of Helen Lyle, played by Virginia Madsen. And um, if her name sounds familiar, she is in the more modern The Haunting in Connecticut. Uh, she is in some TV shows, the American Gothic series, The Witches of East End, However, earlier in her career, she was Princess Irulan in David Lynch's Dune, which is fun and bizarre and weird. Um, but also, I think the one that kind of I remember a lot is Zombie High, and it's an 80s horror comedy. 
I also noted that she's in the legendary Hot to Trot starring Bobcat Goldthwait, and it's a talking horse movie. I have never heard of that movie. Yeah. Uh, the Candyman and Daniel Robitiel. Am I pronouncing that right? Close enough. All right. Uh, played by the great Tony Todd. And Tony Todd is in so many things. Um, however, most remarkably as Candyman in this picture and its two sequels. But one, uh, one other notable genre film that he's in is... And he has a huge role, and it's uh, it's a big role, and that's he's been in Tom Savini's 1999, 1990, Night of the Living Dead remake, uh, taking over for uh, the role, of course, made famous by Dwayne Jones. I love the remake. I might have already talked about this on the podcast, but I actually like it more than the original. Don't tell. <laughs> Luckily, this is only going to our Patreon listeners. I think George Romero likes it better than the original. He's always apologizing for how he wrote Barbara. And that's what I love about the remake. Yeah. I love Barbara's character so much. Yeah, and I too. love the ending. It's oh, good. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's also in several of the Final Destination films of that series. And I really love him in Hatchet as Reverend Zombie. Yeah, it's great. Um some of the other uh, actors in this film. Cassie Lemons plays Bernie Walsh, who is Helen's um, uh, very, very, very close friend and uh, fellow researcher on this project, uh, discovering more about Candyman and urban legends. And then, of course, uh, Helen's terrible, 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 awful, awful lion cheating husband, Trevor played by Zandy, Xander Berkeley. Um, he's the worst. He's the worst. And then Vanessa Williams plays Anne-Marie, who is the baby Anthony's mom, who has um, a, a really important, um, I guess, part of the, the plot or the motivation of, um, of Candyman and his, uh, his attempts to win over Helen. Maybe not win over is not the, quite the right word. Um, this movie was followed up by two sequels, Candyman Farewell to the Flesh and Day of the Dead. I've seen, I haven't seen either of those, but I think that Candyman 2 is available on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be watching both. I don't even care if they're not good. They have Tony Todd in them. Yeah. I'll watch it. Yeah. Um, all right. So interesting things about the making of this movie is that, there were certain scenes that were filmed in Cabr- in uh, at Cabrini Green, and that was some of the exterior and hallway and stairwell scenes. But the producers had to kind of go to great lengths to make sure that the production was safe. So they made a deal with the um, ruling gang members to include them in the movie as extras, just to make sure that everyone was safe. And despite, you know, all of these plans and um, working, you know, with uh, with them, a sniper did put a bullet through one of the production vans on the last day of filming. But nobody was injured, so, you know. That's good. It's interesting. So I have never heard of Cabrini Green until this movie, but I, is it pretty well known in, just in, like, Illinois, like, locally, or what? I guess I've... Knowing enough people from Chicago yeah. that you know talk about it and 
you know, it, it, I guess was just public housing that wasn't really set up to really support the amount of people that they ended up housing there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just kind of turned to crime. And I believe kind of like how it's represented in the movie that the, the police wouldn't really come out to calls or anything out there. So this is kind of an interesting sort of time capsule for that time and showing kind of, you know, while, while it does show that, you know, I guess Helen and Bernie are under the threat of these quote lawless gangs. Like, you know, the people that live there didn't ask, you know, to be housed in such terrible conditions. And when your city doesn't care about you, like what can you do? I think that's definitely, um, you know, that explanation given by um, Anne-Marie, you know, talking about that, talking about hearing her her neighbor being murdered and knowing that the police wouldn't come and calling the police and they don't come. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so a couple of <laughs> something that I, I thought was really kind of scary was that Virginia Madsen is allergic to bees and bees play kind of a big, um, a big part of the, the Candyman origin story. And uh, so they had to have an ambulance on set during any sort of bee related activity, just so that if she got stung, they could, they could treat her. That is crazy. Oh my God. I would not want to be her in those scenes no she's got quite a few b scenes too she does yeah Ooh. and yeah tony todd himself has like bees mm. bees in his mouth and oh, i guess they were um they were like young bees so that they were less likely to sting but i think i read that like tony todd still got stung like 30 or 30 times or something oh my god but I, yeah <laughs> yeah there's scenes where they're like in his mouth and everything and i'm just like Nope, not not no. not me. He is a brave, brave person to put bees in his mouth. Um, I talk about some of the uh, the intensity of of the film, and uh, Virginia Madsen was hypnotized and given a trigger phase phrase, um, so that she could kind of uh, I guess react in her scenes with Candyman, and she really didn't like that sort of method acting, so. She asked to have the, I guess, the, the hypnotic suggestion be broken. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that either. I think, I, I don't know if I would be able to be hypnotized. I want to say someone's tried to hypnotize me before and it didn't work, but that's probably because I didn't know what they were doing. Oh, I know it wouldn't work <laughs> yeah. on me. No, there's no way. I think no you'd way. be able to clear your mind for that. Mine's just like a thousand hamsters running in little hamster wheels. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the only really what if that, um, you know, I discovered on this was that if Virginia Madsen, who was chosen, if she her like scheduling didn't work out, then Sandra Bullock would have played the part of Helen. Interesting. It would have given the movie a, comp- a different energy, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Virginia Madsen is so perfect in this role, but I, I wouldn't yeah. say no to being Sandra Bullock. I don't yeah. know. She could <laughs> like use her. some a little bit of practical magic against Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a couple of taglines here. Are you ready? 
Yes. You don't have to believe. Just beware. I do like that. Candyman. 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 Don't say it again. That one's kind of silly. It's yeah. okay. Well, but... I was scared saying it, actually. Yeah, you better. Well, there's no mirrors in here, so. Well, yeah, that's true. All right. And finally, we dare you to say his name five times. I think I like the the first one best. I think it, it captures a little bit of the element in the movie of, you know, him getting his power from people's beliefs, like people believing in him. Whereas the other one, it just is a little like Bloody Mary-esque. I feel like it it doesn't really add anything to to the movie. Yeah, and I like that you mentioned the whole like not believing in him because, of course, I mean, Santa Claus has struggled with that in different movies where, you know, the world stops believing and Santa loses his power or whatever. But I also think of um, how Wes Craven turned Freddy Krueger on his head by uh, in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. You know, people have forgotten about Freddy and that's why his powers have diminished and he no, lo- no longer really exists in the world. So that was uh that was after Candyman, but um, gosh, I love that mythology of just like the world forgetting about like fantasy or it's like the Neverending Story is uh something where everyone forgets about these these stories that we tell or the idea of a tulpa, which is featured in an episode of Supernatural, where it's uh everyone's collective belief in something that kind of makes it be real, um, brings it to life. So. Yeah. It's a cool oh, concept. It's, yeah. Ooh, it's so good. Um, and you know, as we wrap this up, I just wanted to, uh, to comment on the look of Candyman because it's just very, it's very different than what we've traditionally seen. I mean, it's like a, it's a cool tie to the hook hand urban legend, but like his origin of it is really just kind of heartbreaking. Yep. Um, you know, yeah, and I, and I think, I think that they made a a smart choice by having, you know, his like it's easy for him to kind of look normal, right? So he he wears like a big kind of fur coat, but when you first see him in the parking garage, you know, he has both of his arms behind his back and the coat's all closed, and I mean he's he's Tony Todd, you know, he's really handsome and. You know, his, his kind of origin story, if you want to call it that, is that um, he was the, the son of a slave and he was hired to paint a portrait of this um, girl, the daughter of some landowner. And, you know, they, they fall in love and she gets pregnant. And then, you know, the dad and people in the city basically chase him down, cut off his hand, burn him and sprinkle his ashes over Cabrini Green. So I think that it, it's, you know, because he kind of has this almost romantic but tragic backstory, you know, I think it is important that you see his face before you see that he has a bloody hook for a hand and then underneath the jacket, it's like ribs and bees. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I I love it. Oh, my gosh. That first scene where you see him. Oh, it's it's great oh it's so good i just really like this movie everyone should see it yes yeah if you haven't um you know just maybe hang on a week or two before the blu-ray comes out or whatever because yeah highly highly recommended it's a top top of my my uh my greatest list now yay yep 
we hope you've enjoyed this uh, special spooky episode on, uh, well, Evil Candyman. <laughs> uh, somehow, after listening to the first story, this uh, uh, this Candyman doesn't sound quite as gruesome, even though no, not I think at all. they say he like m- murdered like 25 people or something. Yeah, but at least he didn't kill the baby in this story. Yep, it's yep. true. It's oh, true. I did want to mention the, the tie-in. It's very brief. Uh so blink and you'll miss it but the first scene where she goes to Candyman's lair uh there's like a pile of candy on the floor and she picks up one of them and cuts her finger um cuz there's like a razor blade hidden inside of the the piece of chocolate so razor blades and candy Yep yep exactly All right well uh we hope you all have a a happy halloween a spooky halloween and a safe halloween be sure to uh check your candy oh yeah well you guys all know where to find us right where i'm pretty sure they do yeah but they should definitely also follow you on instagram yeah at lab creature Woo-hoo. yeah great shout out and uh i think we're gonna see some spirit at some point so yeah. hey i had a sh- i had a call back on that the other episode i thought i'd throw that out there so coming soon suspiria yep coming soon suspiria yep all right well trick or treat smell my feet give me something good to eat I'll be knocking on your door. And speaking of doors, death is but a door. And time is but a window. We'll be back. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.